All right, so uh, we're continuing our study on the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the topic that I signed up for tonight is joy. We're the second fruit of the Spirit in, in the list. Not that they're in any particular order or anything like that, but um, we're going to be taking a look at a couple things tonight. Uh, we're going to uh, go to these uh, passages here in a minute, so if you want to uh, stick a paper, fingers in these passages, we'll be getting to those in a minute. They are uh, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, James chapter 1, verses 2, and f- 2 to 4, and then Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Uh, so we'll, we'll be going to those in a, in a minute. Um, when I was thinking about this lesson, um, it occurred to me that the Christian life is a series of discrepant events. And if you don't know what I mean by a discrepant event, you can see a discrepant event up here on the board or on the PowerPoint. You have an individual standing on two dozen eggs. And you're saying, well, eggs are fragile. How in the world can that person be standing on those eggs without them breaking? So your first thought is, well, maybe they're hard-boiled. I can assure you that they are not. Okay? So this is something that doesn't make sense. You know eggs are fragile. However, here we have a, a case where they are not breaking. The person is standing on them with no problem. So a discrepant event, what I mean by that is an occurrence which defies understanding by presenting unexpected outcomes. And I picked out six characteristics, and obviously one of them includes joy as as that. Um, But Christianity is often like this because of a few things. So First of all, Jesus tells us that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. He tells us to judge with righteous judgment. The word judges, but we're not to be judgmental. We're supposed to love our neighbor. And he he even says, you have heard it said you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's a discrepancy. You love your neighbor and you love your enemies. You love the world, but you don't love the world. We're not to love the things of the world, but we're supposed to love everybody that's in the world and show them the love that Jesus sent. Here's another one. God is one, but we see Him represented as three individuals, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, tonight, as we're going to talk about We're supposed to rejoice always, but we know as Christians we're going to suffer like Jesus did. So, those are, in the eyes of the world, Christianity is a discrepancy. Because the world thinks one way, but humanity or Christians live a different way. And that's something that they don't understand and they don't get. So, We're going to take a look a little bit about what joy is. So I will pose the question, what is joy? And you didn't see it. So when I say the term joy, what do you think of? 
Being happy? Content? Okay. Peace? That's a good one. What else? Laughing. Okay. Very good. Any others? A sense of well-being. Very good. Some good comments. Of course, we go to the the dictionary. Um, Webster says it's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or good fortune, or by the I wrote twice. Uh, Good fortune by the prospect of possessing what one's desires are. So you desire something, when you get it, you're supposed to be joyful. Um, But when you take a look at joy, it has a lot to do with happiness. These are all positive things that we're talking about. It's an emotion of of well-being, success, good fortune. But joy does not always accompany happiness. Or I should say, happiness does not always accompany joy. And I will, I will give you an example of that. And I think everybody has gone through this. At one point in their life, you've had a loved one who passes away. Are you happy that that person passes away? Not usually. You're sorrowful. You're sad. You're, you're going to miss that person. But at the same time, you experience this joy if they were a Christian that they are not suffering anymore, that they're in a, a better place, they're with, with the Lord. There's a difference there because joy, I think, is more of an internal Emotion where happiness is something from the outside. You can have, you can be happy that your sports team won. If your if your sports team doesn't win, you don't stop rooting for them. Because if you did, you'd be back and forth and back and forth uh, all the time. If they lose, oh, they're now they're winning. I'm happy. You know, you, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is from the external. You get happiness from things. You get happiness from other people. But joy is more of a contentment. Um, more of an internal at peace with the things around you. And I, I think the world sees the two, well, if you're, if you're joyful, you're happy. It's not always the case. Because, like we said, uh, and the passages we're going to take a look at here in a second um, are going to kind of go through that. So let's turn to uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. That's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It says, Though the fig tree does not blossom... And no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the field yields no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, 
and makes me tread upon the heights. And let's go over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. James writes, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So, these two passages here, we see there's things that are are going wrong in the person's life. In Habakkuk, there's, there's no fruit on the, the vine, there's no figs, uh, the, the herds are gone. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And then James tells us that when we go through trials, when we go through sickness or bouts of depression or any type of thing that goes wrong in your life, we're supposed to count it as joy. Even though we're going through something that's bad, we know in the end that we're going to come out as a stronger person through our faith, and that is going to lead us to a different uh, mindset. So, um, you can be joyful when you have sorrow. And that's, that's the key. It, it's easy to be joyful when you're happy, when things are going, when things are going right. You know, you can, oh, well, nothing's really going on in my life right now. I'm, I'm you know, everything's going well. Uh, the kids are all doing well in school, or uh, I've got my health. Uh, we've got a little money in the bank and we're taken care of. It's easy to be joyful in those cases. It's when the things that start to go wrong, it's harder to see that joy that you have. So I, I think that's one of the things that we're going to uh, take a look at. I want you to think of a time that you, you found it really hard to be joyful. And I'm not asking for anybody to share if they don't, you know, if, if you want to share, that's fine. But think of a time when you, had, you struggled finding joy in your life. Not happiness, but think about being joyful, being a, being a Christian. What, you know, what did you feel like? What was going through your head? Um, what did you experience? And I missed it all there. Uh, what helped you get through that? Was there a person that really encouraged you? Did they say the right thing at the right time to get you through that moment? But think about it, and then try to apply that to what you know from Scripture. And that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. Um, I'd like this to be a how-to. You know, this is how you have more joy in your life. Um, I I don't think I've reached that yet. I'm still sometimes I struggle with joy in my life. But there's certain things that we're going to take a look at that kind of help me uh, get through it. So um, let's take a look at uh, a couple passages, and then we're going to look at some examples, and then. Uh, the lesson will be yours. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, 
And Peter here is uh, writing to exiled Christians who, again, are suffering. They're being persecuted. They were kicked out of their homes. They had to flee to other countries, start over. Definitely not a time where they were really happy, physically. He says, in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he starts here with, you've got this assurance. As a Christian, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he's... He's been offered, and he's the, the mercy that God has on us. Even though you're going through these bad things, you've got this inheritance that uh, is going to come. Uh, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, we have that. As Christians, that's there waiting for us. We can't see heaven right now. We can read about it. We can read about those who wrote about the indescribable place that awaits for us. But Peter says that's 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 being held for you. That's coming. Even though right now you're going through this bad stuff in your life, you've got all these people trying to kill you because you're living as a Christian. The world doesn't understand you. You're having a tough time. He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, even now, for a little while, while you have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Peter here is talking about this rejoicing that you know, sometimes you just can't put it to words. And it's kind of like what the Spirit does for us when we, we don't know what we pray for to pray for. We can't put it to words we have this intercession that goes on. Same thing with our joy. Sometimes you just can't put it to words. And somebody will come up to you and say, why are you so, you know, they'll probably say, well, why are you so happy? Um, but why are, you, why are you joyful? You're going through all these bad things. If you would just drop this Christianity stuff, you could get away from it and you'd be fine. But Peter says, no, this is, this is what you are waiting for. The resurrection, the, the seal that is on you, that Jesus has bought your soul. That's what you're waiting for, and that's why you're joyous. Even though you're going through bad stuff, Peter says, you have this indescribable joy that just, it can't be taken away from you. Because you know what's coming later on. John talks about it over in 3 John, in verse 4, is something that, there's, there's nothing greater. This joy that we have, that we're waiting for. 
In verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. Think about the person that taught you the gospel. John taught several people. Who knows how many. And he, he's rejoicing. There's, he's got no greater joy than this than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. And think of somebody that you helped through the gospel. And there's, just, there's nothing better than that. And think of the disappointment when you know somebody that has walked away from it. And I, one of the things I said was, you know, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on joy. It's because joy is not easy. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. And if it was easy, everybody would be brain surgeons, you know. Uh, something that's difficult, that takes a lot of work, that's indescribable. I, I just can't describe it because it's really hard to do. David talks about it in Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5 and verse 11. It's the right book, not Proverbs. Psalm. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Again, David here is talking about, you know, sorrow lasts for a time. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sorrowful. But that joy that we have, the joy that we know that somebody's gone on to the reward, or the joy that we know that even though we're going through trials in life, we know what comes at the end. And and that just... that. I, I'm personally, I'm not a dancer. But he talks about, you've turned my mourning into dancing. you turned my sorrow into joy. Um, another passage that talks about this is Hebrews chapter 12. I think we're going to come back to this example later on. But in Hebrews chapter 12, I think probably a lot of people can quote it. Because of the, the proximity of where it is in the Bible. Of course, Hebrews chapter 11, we know the Hebrews writer has just gotten through these people that we can look to as examples of faith. And he starts off chapter 12. Who does he talk about? Who does he talk about in the beginning of chapter 12? Okay. All the people in chapter 12, 11. But then he says... Look to Jesus. In verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrews writer here says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not, sometimes I'm a little slow at things, but it doesn't take a whole lot of wisdom to see if I was going to, if I knew I was going to the cross, and if I knew I was going to be beaten and bleed, have nails put through my arm, well, my wrists and my hands and my feet, and a spear was going to be shoved in my side and I'd lose a lot of blood. I don't know that I would consider that joy. That doesn't sound like something I would want to go through. But here, the Hebrews writer says, Jesus saw it as a joy. Because He knew what it meant. He knew what it meant for each and every one of us in this room, what His death would mean on the cross. That's why it was joyful because it brought us back into a relationship that we messed up at the beginning of time. Humanity, not us. But that's the joy that Christ saw. He saw every single one of us as He stretched out His arms and died on Calvary. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells us that our joy cannot be taken from us. And again, He's, he's foreshadowing His death here in chapter 16 uh, and 17. He's talking about the Comforter is going to come. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to go away. Again, the, the disciples really don't understand it. Where are you going? Thomas is, you know, we'll, we'll follow you anywhere. He's, and... In chapter 16, in verse 16, he says, A little while you will no longer see me. And then he says, Well, what do you mean? What's, I, where are you going? They thought he was you know, like going out of the corner store or something. You're going to be back, right? No, Jesus wasn't coming back for three days. He was going away for you know, three days. <clears throat> and he says, you know, I'm going to go to the Father. And again, they don't understand it. In verse Uh, 20 says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. Again, we, we see that in the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, you, you know, we're not told how the uh, high priests and the Sanhedrin, how they reacted to Jesus' death, but you can See here, Jesus says, they're going to rejoice because I'm going to be dead. But I'm going to turn that pain of yours into joy when I come back in three days. And then he, he, he talks about a woman in labor. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, 
She no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. And I, I can't, I can't compare with that. You know, I, there's nothing I can say, ladies. You can understand that perfectly, I'm sure. Um, guys, we see we see our wives struggle and and go through the birth process, and she might call you all sorts of names and start screaming and yelling at you. But after the baby comes, think about how joyful, how happy she is. She's tired, but she's also got this joy that she has brought. And you do as well, but it, it doesn't compare. In verse 22, Jesus says, So you have pain now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And you just have to, to think about what the disciples went through through that 24-hour period where Jesus says, you know, I'm going away, I'm going to my Father. The disciples don't really understand it. Then they go out to the, to the garden and, and they pray, they fall asleep. They think it's just any other night. But this, this was the end. Jesus says, I will see you in a little while. They thought, no, okay, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow, I guess, you know, when we wake up. and that was, that was it. So they had pain. Peter, especially, after denying the Lord three times, think of his sorrow and the pain that he goes through. And then after Jesus arises, raises from the dead, Three days later, and the joy that Peter has. Peter, I, I can't say this 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure, Peter never lost that joy. It never, never was taken away from him again. We see what he writes in chapters in 1 Peter chapter 1 and the books of 1 Peter. Yeah, he makes mistakes. He's not perfect. But that joy of Jesus resurrecting stays with him until he's he's martyred in the end of course i think one of the most famous passages about joys is philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 and i think everybody knows it but he says rejoice in the lord sometimes only when it's convenient only when it's easy Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. And again, it's one of those things that you're like, how do I do that? How do I rejoice always? It's like praying without ceasing. It's one of those things that Paul says, oh, no, that's what he meant. Rejoice always. Even though you're going through the lowest point in your life, whatever that point may be, Paul says rejoice in the Lord because he knows you can do it. And he knows what humanity is capable of. I picked four individuals in the uh, Bible um, and I bet you probably could pick them out if I I didn't put them up here. But we're going to Talk about him anyway. Let's think about Job for a minute. 
The story of Job, I think everybody's familiar with, but again, if you're not really familiar with it, Job is a very rich man. He's got children, lots of herds, uh, servants, and all sorts of stuff. He's got everything. He's the Bill Gates of his time. And he fears God. So, of course, that puts Job on Satan's radar and says, well, the only reason he fears you is because you protect him. You, you take away all his stuff and you know, he's, he's not going to worship you anymore. And God says, okay, you can take all his stuff, but you can't hurt him. Take everything he has and... The only thing you can do is you can't harm him. So Job loses everything except his wife. Lost all his children, all his herds. The only person that's left is Job's wife and then his three friends. And in verse 21... Let's pick it up in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. Okay, so if you're not sure what that is, that's how they used to show sorrow in the Old Testament. They would shave their heads, and rip their clothes, sit in ashes and sackcloth, and, and that's how... If you saw somebody like that, you know, well, that person's going through something. He is sad. He says in verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, so Job just lost everything. And he's saying, blessed is the name of the Lord. You think that has to do with something about how Job felt in his, in his life. He said, I didn't come into this world with anything. I'm not taking anything with me. These things are just temporary. They're, they're, they don't last. I'm going to praise God because He has blessed me so far. Chapter 2, of course, um, Satan is allowed to... Uh, give him diseases. Um, and in verse 9 it says, His wife comes to him, Do you still pe- persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Again, he's, now he's, he's physically suffering. He's got boils, he takes pottery and scrapes his skin, and he's just miserable. His wife says, just get it over with, curse God, and he'll, he'll take you. And he says, that, that's not, we get good things from God, Don't, you know, we've we got to get bad things too. We can't always have sunshines and roses and rainbows and daisies. You have to go through days that are gloomy and dark and rainy and stormy. He goes through his whole life, and eventually he has a conversation with God, 
because he's, you know, he's talking to his three friends who were really no help. His three friends were good for about a couple days, seven days. They just sat with him. They didn't say anything. They were good for seven days. After that, they opened their mouths and they made a mistake. And Job finally gets to talk to God. God confronts him because Job is basically saying, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. His friend said, well, you must have. And we see at the end, we don't know that God ever tells him what happened. It's not recorded for us. Job really, as far as we know, never knows that Satan was responsible for it. He just knows that God has protected him and he restores his fortune. Twice as much. So, Job is a prime example of you know having patience, but also not getting down on himself. He could have immediately said, well, that's it. I'm done. I can't take any more. He could have given up. He could have swallowed up into his despair, his sorrow. But he had, he had something in him that allowed him to keep going on. I think of Joseph as well, and again, we're not, we don't have time to read the whole story of Joseph. And I think every, a good portion of you really know what happens to him. But Joseph goes through his entire adult life. He's got good things, he's got bad things that happen to him, he's got some more bad things happen to him, and some more bad things happen to him. He's got some more good things happening to him. But you never see Job. Jo- I'm stuck on Job. You never see Joseph doubting himself. You never see him doubting God. His faith is strong. But think about if you went through what Joseph went through: prison, his own brother sold him into slavery. Um, he was forgotten for three years by the cupbearer. And then he prospers. At no point do we see like Job doubting. There's no doubting going on in Joseph. He's trusting in God. He's got something inside that the world couldn't take away. I think that's uh, something that we can hope to emulate. Uh, Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I do want to read a couple things here. Again, uh, we're pretty familiar with this and we're almost, almost out of time. But Paul talks about his suffering as an apostle. Okay, Paul, Paul had a pretty good life as Saul. He was, you know, on, he was a ruler. Uh, in the Jewish system, he he sat at the feet of one of the the best teachers of the time. Uh, he he had everything going for him from a Jewish perspective, and then Jesus comes and talks to him on the road to Damascus, and suddenly his life is you know 
Now he's, he's running from crowds, he's stoned, he's, uh, what he says here, uh, he spends a night and a half, a night and a half in uh, the, the sea, uh, he was flogged five times, beaten with rods, he was stoned, uh, he was in danger on the river, danger from bandits, danger from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So, Paul, if again, one of those things, he had a lot of things going wrong in his life. But he trusts in God, he, he has that faith, and I think that's one of the things that he, one of the reasons why, you know, that he writes about joy as a fruit of the Spirit, because it's something that the world can't take away from you. You're the only one that say, I can give it away. I don't, I don't want this joy anymore. Okay. That's, that's the only way you get rid of it. Of course, we already talked about uh, Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, He prays in the garden. Uh, he takes His disciples and he, he takes Peter, James, and John a little further. Uh, and in verse 38, he says, Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Uh, and then he prays, he, he find, comes back, finds his disciples sleeping. And then he says, um, in verse 42, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And then, um, verse 46, he said, you know, this is it. The betrayer is coming. Right? So Jesus says, he's, He is grieved. He knows what's coming. Again, if I knew what I was coming, I would be getting out of town, not sticking around. But Jesus like the Hebrews writer says, for the joy that was set before him, but that still doesn't make it any easier, knowing what's coming. I, th- I personally think that makes it a lot worse. But that joy that he has, knowing that his sacrifice pays the way for us, that's what kept him going through all the, be- the beating and the, the spitting on of the the soldiers and the, the robe that they put on him and the, the, the cross, all of that is sustained by the joy that he knows that one day humanity will be reconciled to God. So I, I come back to... Whoops. Yep, yep went too far. <laughs> uh, I come back to those, three pass, to those, those two passages we talked about. Habakkuk chapter 3, thank you Justin, and James chapter 1. Romans chapter 12 is a very good passage, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, But I think the first two really, really show us how to have joy. Even though we know that we're going to go through various trials, James says, count it as joy because you know that that trial is going to produce the patience 
to get through the next one. And Habakkuk tells you, even though you've got all these bad things happening in your life, even though you've, you know, whatever is going wrong in your life, still I will rejoice in the Lord. I thank you for your attention, and hopefully, as we go through the rest of this week, we will find that joy that sustains us through the rest of our lives. Thank you.